0: see themselves as not waiting for the playbook but helping us write the playbook as we build forward that we're still putting those stepping stones down but I think it's thrilling that we're the ones who get to do it and sort of that that needing that understanding that education's needed solutions for a very long time right and here we are like we're at that moment where we're finally turning the ability for us to really have those solutions and build it but As we try to put all these pieces together to build that thriving ecosystem, we have to make sure that we're learning from all the different pieces that are still needed.
1: The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder and I'm here with my co-host for today, Mike Jones. Hi Mike.
2: Hey Tiffany.
1: We are exploring a topic that is near and dear to us, having so much fun. But this is actually part 2 with Monica Ares. So if you didn't get a chance to catch part 1, please go back and listen on your favorite podcast provider and check out the resources on our website digitaltolearn.com for more information. Then come back and join us for part 2. Welcome back to the show Monica. Thank you. So happy to be here. Without further ado, we're going to jump right back in.
2: I think part of what intimidates is that it is different. It's a strange creature we haven't embraced. We're not quite sure where we can grab it, you know, what we can do with it. And maybe that's a good place to start with, especially for audiences. How would you explain immersive learning to an educator? I mean, how's it different from traditional learning?
0: Yeah. You know, it's a different medium and it allows for highly interactive lessons and these engaging experiences that allow people to feel like they're in an environment where they can explore and the simulations are dynamic and they move with you. And so it's almost like a curated experience for yourself. But there are a lot of acronyms. So anyone who hasn't been, you know, kind of well-versed in all these, we can do a quick rundown. You probably hear virtual reality the most, which is that is fully immersive and you need a headset in order to experience it. And so everywhere you look, you're in that environment and you really do feel like you've been transported there. Augmented reality places an object in your physical world through a mobile device right now. Anyone who has a higher end headset with pass through, you can see AR there. But for the most part, we're looking at it through a mobile device. So it could add a layer. Like I always use the example, if you go to the Grand Canyon and hold the phone up with AR, it could tell you what all the layers are. Or if you want to pop a little 3D model of a building on your desk and kind of rotate it, that's augmented reality. So lots of ways to get more information based on the space where you are. Then there's mixed reality, which is just a hybrid of virtual reality and augmented reality. And it kind of just refers to the whole spectrum of technologies and include both fully immersive at one end to the more sort of subtle overlay that AR has. And then the other term you've probably heard is XR, right? Which is technically extended reality, I think, but really it's just an overarching term that encompasses all forms of virtual and augmented and mixed reality. So again, it's just like, how are we... Extending the user's perception of the world beyond their physical reality. And this is where all these things come into play. So I think what's interesting, though, you know, the technology feels like a huge jump. But when you really think back to the evolution of technology and learning, I mean, just in my own lifetime, right, as we kind of say, are little bits, bits and pieces that have always been there. But I think you can see that it's really just the next natural progression in this lineup so from the early days like yeah of course at first we all just had encyclopedias and that you know one picture and one paragraph but then when web one came out and we started getting articles that were mainly one directional but it started to help us recognize that there was more access to information than just the encyclopedia or what your parents knew then of course web two was read and write so you could contribute you could add the creator culture took off and the mobile devices was obviously the biggest game changer we've had when it comes to learning. Because no matter where you were in the world, no matter when you were curious, you could get the answer. That should have completely transformed learning on the spot. We didn't quite get there. We still were like, well, we'll just keep using the memorizing method and the things there's like, oh, no, like we have a whole different tool now and all the information's in our pockets. Let's figure out how we actually push ourselves to use that class time for higher order thinking and debate and things that we should have shifted, but, you know, education's a slower moving industry for many reasons. And so it didn't quite catch on that. But now that we're entering this new phase where we're able to add layers on top of it, where we can actually feel like we have these simulated environments, but it almost feels like you're hopping into the internet. As you hear a lot of people say, it's like the combination of Miss Frizzle's magic school bus and hopping into the sidewalk chalk drawing and Mary Poppins, right? Like if you see something in 2D, you can just jump into it and suddenly be in that world in 3D or add that layer on top. If you can't bring the lab, can't get to the school, you can bring that lab equipment into your house and you can understand how it works and manipulate it. So... I think the value that we have right now with all this isn't necessarily changing everything. We're not going to suddenly be doing everything in VR, right? I think it's that we can now add a layer that gives us a different tool when it's appropriate. So we have this hybrid model, which is part in-person, part online right now. But I think we're moving into what I'm calling the tribrid model, where we can seamlessly move between in-person, online, and then these immersive experiences. And we can choose when it's best to use each one and seamlessly have the capability to go between them all. So I think that's where we get to head and that's where we should get excited about offering something new. But, you know, if that really comes to life and it's seamless, that's an incredible way to learn, right? Like the moonwalk. I looked at the picture growing up in the encyclopedia at the Smithsonian. I just went up to the moon, right? And it allows you to connect to history and that story in a completely different way.
1: Have you seen that triblend model done well to date and if so
0: at all in the university? I haven't but that's like every time I talk to university about you know how to start using it because it's hard to go from zero to one and I and I recognize that so it's like you know a lot of people had to sort of figure out like these online learning applications during the pandemic and so within a unit are there two or three places where it's a lot more valuable to see it in 3D or to go in and experience that so You know, anyone who had a nursing practicum who couldn't actually get to the clinic to do it, these kind of simulated environments were very helpful to have them help start working on patients. Anyone who's doing aviation simulation training, they could do it from their own home. But even small things like, you know, learning about phases of the moon. Have you ever tried to teach someone why we see phases of the moon? It takes like (laughs) 10 drawings. It is really (laughs) complex. It's hard to map the 2D to 3D. But in AR or VR, if you can just jump between the earth, moon, and sun, as everything is rotating and revolving, in 30 seconds, your brain understands why we see it. But it's so hard otherwise. And so it's figuring out where it's really valuable to do some of these experiences and then just adding them as pieces into that curriculum at first. Slowly, it'll start to evolve a little bit more. but. I think it's understanding where we should and shouldn't use it and what's available. There's still a massive content problem. Having to build uh-huh. these experiences out is still yeah. quite costly and takes a lot of time. So I think it's trying to find almost like that pilot use case within the university class that they're teaching and understanding where we can use it. But I'll tell you, one of the coolest things isn't just the experiences. During the pandemic, we sent headsets out to a bunch of graduate school classes they didn't even go into experiences. Like they didn't even start off with Beat Saber. They wanted to join together in these experiences where they could feel present. So where they could body language, where they could see each other, they could pass objects to each other they hadn't ever met in real life. And that is really powerful to think about. Like they just wanted to feel together. And that this technology allows you to do that in a way that you couldn't before. So there's something about, you know, we know that we learn better with all of our senses. We learn better together. And even without a learning application, this technology is immensely powerful for the Mm -hmm. the environment that we have to create for learning.
2: It's interesting, as you say that, my mind is racing. I was in Australia and I was teaching a deaf community how to do filmmaking, right? And We got through all the training and we were in the production and the director could communicate with the lighting guy and with the sound person silently across the set. And I was watching that happen. I was going, that's amazing. You know, how much more efficient they can be on a set because you don't have to stop rolling sound. You don't have to stop the actors. They can communicate. I thought that was amazing. Well, today we're working on a social work class. We're trying to design a recording in 3D space of two parents and two kids and a social worker having a communication so we were experimenting with that today and i was able to go in as a director of the scene and not be seen in the 3d recorded space so our characters could be acting out their parts and i could be there and talk to them and they could hear me but the recording doesn't oh nice and i thought wow that's like an overlay with the real world because now i can coach them and go now i want you to wipe your brow you know, okay, you need to have a tick in your right hand. Don't forget the tick in your right. And that's not going to be recorded in the scene. People going in and watching and experiencing the 3D scene never even knew I was there coaching the actors. I could use this in so many different ways, right? But it was that same idea of what this technology empowers now that we've never been able to do before.
0: Yeah, the entire landscape is shifting. And I do love that opportunity to be like, wait a minute, what can we do differently now that, you know, helps us get just be more productive or differently productive or open up that that creativity that wasn't available because we just didn't have the tools so I think embracing it like that is very important again it's always a double-edged sword everything we do we have to be incredibly mindful and holding ourselves accountable every step of the way but when you look forward and we think of what we can build moving forward it's kind of an endless opportunity in front of us
2: so true
0: You've
1: worked for Amazon and Facebook for Meta and you do consulting. So in terms of immersive learning, what developments are on the horizon that you're allowed to talk about?
0: (laughs) I mean, again, I think like anything that includes AI is going to be pretty amazing. I know that it's kind of new to the scene. A lot of people are a little bit worried about what it can and can't do, but just imagine combining AI with mixed reality. And suddenly you have a personalized and adaptive learning wherever you need to be. So like you could have the algorithms that sort of understand a learner's challenge, and then it can adapt the learning environment to them so that it really can work with their strengths and it can help fill in some of the gaps that they might have in their weaknesses and then create this tailored learning path that that can help them achieve their goals. It's not something we've been able to do before, unless you have that tutor right with you all the time. And even then it's like fractured tiny times of the week. This allows people to be like, I always have that assistant with me. I always have that ability to visualize what I need to, if you need to, or say, I don't quite understand this. Can you explain it to me in a way that makes sense? Whether English isn't your first language and you need help translating or whether you learn in different ways. I think it's, it's one of those things that we are just now starting to see what those options are, but Also having sort of that real-time assessment and feedback from AI and mixed with these environments that we're learning in, I think it's just going to help provide learners that sort of performance that they used to have to wait for this one huge moment to do. And now it's going to constantly be in that sort of like trial and error, guess and check, understand if I get it or not. And so I think it's that combination that we're just now about to hit. With combining AI into all of these different immersive experiences, that we'll see the corners start to turn. And that Came out of the market very, very quickly, right? I think we've all been trying to like push the metaverse stuff and AR and VR. And we know that their tooling is a little bit hard. It takes time that that obviously the hardware has iterations to go until we get to the final end state where it's (laughs) an acceptable pair of contacts or glasses or somehow, you know, infused in our bodies. But (laughs) AI was very quick and we've instantly seen a lot of that just kind of hit the market. So I think, you know, I, I was saying before in, in a different conversation that so much of what comes into my inbox is a lot of negativity around chat GPT and yeah. like, oh no, everyone's going to plagiarize or they're going to cheat. And I think this is one of those moments where we have to challenge ourselves and just be like, yes, so bring it. Like, that's amazing. We're now raising the foundation of where we're starting our teaching, which means that we're now forced to use that time a lot more for the creative thinking, the discussions, the pushing, you know, what we know to, into what we might not know and taking it one step beyond, which we don't often have time for with our learning as it is today. And the example I always give is like, you know, my dad had to use a slide rule and it took him all class to solve the problem. And then I had a calculator. I got to push the button and I had the same answer in two seconds, but we use the rest of the class for real world applications. And then I just think chat GBT, if we think of it as a calculator for Writing, right? It's not a perfect analogy, but sort of in that similar space. it just it suddenly gets us to a spot where we we already know all the information's there. It's what we do with it that's going to force us to become more intelligent humans, right? and to use our brain slightly differently and get to that next level. So like I said, when the mobile device came out and suddenly we had the world's answers in our pocket, at that moment, we should have been like, oh, wow, great. How do we use this to get to that next level of intelligence? We didn't. I think we were a little bit scared and nervous. What if we actually embrace these new technologies as that opportunity and see how far we can get? Um, Learning's on a continuum now. We have tools everywhere. We used to just go to school to get the latest and greatest, and now those are ubiquitous, right? And so I think it's a a question of how do we as leaders in the education space want to make sure that we're setting up this foundation right now for generations to come to be successful?
1: Let's say you received a an email that was different, one that was from a university that was like, "No, we are not afraid of this. We are going to tackle this head on, and we're going to do the tri model. Mm-hmm. We're going into mixed reality here with the AI." Who would you suggest for since this would be a unique case because not everyone's responding in this way? That the university pull together at the table to get ahead and to make this happen. What are the? Is it a, a kind of person? Is it a series of positions? Who would you bring to the table to plan for this new future?
0: Yes, I want to be very excited. I feel like I would love to talk to you. Uh, let's figure this out. I think yeah. some of the you know the hurdles that still exist are just the integration of the hardware, right? And I think yeah. um, there are a couple of little pockets that they're, they're getting better, but we know that they're still not perfect. And so making sure that you have the hardware that you can get into the university. And then most universities have their little closed off internet system, And sometimes it's hard to add the headsets to it. So are we looking at like a separate metaverse, you know, internet or box where we keep the student data, like all these little things that in a pilot model where you bring in 20 headsets and and one professor is willing to do the hard work of, you know, loading content onto all of them we can do it on a smaller scale. And we think of doing it at scale for university or for many, many learners. We just have to make sure that those roadways are in place. So oftentimes it's bringing together like a cross-functional team of support until all the pieces are integrated. But yes, I think it's having someone who understands that technology, the opportunity and that one, like the hardware has to work and be seamless. If there's too much friction, it's not going to be a great learning experience. So you should be able to put the headset on. It auto plays the experience that the professor wants you to play, or you can find it, you can go back, you can keep track of the learning that's happening. Most universities have LMS systems and they want, you know, if students are home, you want that little link to just open up in headset or open up the AR experience in your phone on your desk. And so connecting where students find the information that they need for learning and to keep track of into these, you know, ARVR systems, so that they're all at least talking to each other. You don't need to necessarily do any kind of graded assessment in a headset, but hopefully, the LMS knows that you at least opened it and did it right. And so, I think there's some of that, and I think it's a little bit of not a lot of content exists. So, can you match what is already out there as like a place to get started? But then, can you? really challenge the university itself to create courses where students make more or to partner with developers and creators who can help you make some of the experiences that you know would add value to existing classes and start to get that entire pipeline ready and then have universities share all the content that they're all making. So we're not reinventing the wheel every single time. And that centralized library doesn't exist, right? And so it's like, these little pieces of people sort of seeing the spark and recognizing the value are there and the the innovative ones the brave ones are starting to do some incredible things with ar and vr in their classrooms so we're getting there i think it's just a matter of can we support this on a slightly larger scale now so that we don't have the frustration layer that can often kick in
2: uh, vr for good is a good example of that's beginning to build a repository of experiences that are changing the way we view things situations so good. And I try and tell people too, you don't know what you don't know, right? Put a headset on, play. With that thought in mind, from your perspective, how can educators and researchers get involved in this? Curious.
0: Yeah. A lot of it actually is for them to get curious, right? A lot of people are are just, oh, it's this weird thing I don't get. And it seems really far away. But just starting off with like reading about it, joining some of the groups that exist in different spaces where people are bringing together, you know, creators and developers. And I think that this is one of those moments where it's going to take a combination of industries and diversity of thought. And so as it's the people who can bring together, I think the creators, developers, organizations of all sizes to start to solve these problems. If we solve... Any of the current friction points for one industry, whether it's education, future of work, future of entertainment, future of communication, it unlocks it for all of them, right? So I think we're all kind of still in the space where we can be very collaborative in order to build solutions for that next generation. So I think one of the biggest things is try the technology. I think you can, you know, like we can talk about it all we want. We can show people videos of what it looks like in the headset, but until you put that headset on, it's very, very hard to explain. And so we used to do a lot of demos. We put educators in the headset and they would come out with their eyes just super bright. And being like, oh, here are the next 10 things I think would work really well in this. But from just the talk beforehand, that didn't light up in their brain. There's something about actually understanding what it feels like to be in a fully immersive experience to unlock that understanding. And so I hope that, again, as this technology starts to become available, even if it's just in a lab at first in a university, or if they can find ways to go to conferences and try it, that they'll start to recognize the impact. But I think really it's that notion that it will take all of us. And I hope that people see themselves as not waiting for the playbook, but helping us write the playbook as we build forward, that we're still putting those stepping stones down. But I think it's thrilling that we're the ones who get to do it. And sort of that, that needing that understanding that education's needed solutions for a very long time, right? And here we are, like we're at that moment where we're finally turning the ability for us to really have those solutions and build it. But as we try to put all these pieces together to build that thriving ecosystem, we have to make sure that we're learning from all the different pieces that are still needed.
1: We typically force all of our guests, to we don't force them to do anything. We ask them kindly to make predictions about the future. You've shared several already, so you're welcome to comment on that. But a subsequent question would be, how do you hope that others connect with you or where's the partnership point? What would you like people listening in to know about the work that you're doing and how they can get involved and
0: get connected with you? Yeah. Again, anyone looking to build these solutions, like I think the current trends are all showing us that like immersive learning is going to be part of the future of learning, right? And I know that there's still like little missing pieces to get there, but that end state, I think the numbers are showing us the advantages that it brings into learning are all right there, especially for the future of higher education, So. You know, I think what I see is more that we need to come together to understand how education is being delivered. And so this can enhance the way that we teach and adding those layers before, like I said, with that tribrid model, we've already had a lot of off-learning remote learning because of the pandemic. And so this technology can leverage what we learned from that, but it can also now add in the pieces that we're missing. And so I think things like helping students feel present with each other, no matter where they are in the world, helping them come to a digital twin of their university, even if they're not on campus and feeling like they are actually there and they can see it and they can be on the quad, they can see the different buildings, that they can come as live avatars and they're educator is a live avatar and they can have classes where they all are actually interacting as avatars and hop over to the lab and hop over to field trips. Again, it's just changing the way that we normally think of like the traditional lecture style learning into a much more hands-on experiential based learning. And I think it just allows for that greater accessibility that we've all tried to reach anyway. We know that technology is the answer. We know there are frictions with technology, but ultimately let's assume we all come together and solve a lot of this we will increase that accessibility. It's a price that you have to pay to get the headset. But think of the schools that can't afford a lab because it's millions and millions of dollars. And so the students aren't getting the lab. They can't then afford to populate the lab with everything that they need. Robotics labs, especially, those pieces are super expensive. But if we can build it once and we build a really dynamic, incredible, you know, multi-age, multi-century experience, and then the price of the headset is that one-time price, but suddenly opens up all of these opportunities that they can have and experiences that they can do and connections they can make, that fundamentally is increasing access to education in a way that we haven't been able to before. And then if we can like add in the engagement and, you know, I think the different pieces that had been missing in in learning, we know that engagement retention have gone down. The few studies we've done has started to show that that's actually going up, including attendance, which is kind of nice. So there was a stat I saw from the National Lab that said you remember about 5% of what you learn in lecture style learning, 10% of what you read, and 75% of what you learn in virtual reality. So, like, we the numbers are coming in strong. It's what surrounds it. And just again, everyone coming together to recognize that we need to start to rethink education as all these new tools come out and not be fearful of it. It'll be a little messy at first, of course. It's not going to be a perfect seamless transition. But for those that are ready, I feel like it's been, yeah, something I've been really thinking about and working on my most of my entire career. And I think the path is clear. It's just a matter of actually doing the work now and making sure that we're doing it responsibly.
2: Hmm. Tiffany, I don't know about you, but I can hear the passion of the teacher and the love of people that monica has I and know. so i'm so glad that that you have both of these giftings coming together that yeah tech friendly idea about how we do this in the future but you also have the core understanding of what it is to teach and change lives and i think that's beautiful
0: oh thank you it's yeah. a perfect moment though honestly it's like the metaverse is not a new concept right we have been talking about this authors have been writing about it for a long time but it was i think the combination of the pandemic which forced us into this global experiment to bring learning online and we quickly realized that like it was terrible right? <laughs> it was like, Yes, yeah. we deliver knowledge but like we couldn't engage anyone without classrooms and labs and field trips and so what the challenge became well how do we create digital experiences that allow people to come together and feel that sense of presence and bring you know these sort of digital assets to them so that they can still interact and play when we can't actually get to the lab And that's when I think people were like, oh, that's what the metaverse is. That's what it allows us to do. And so by seeing the problem and eating the solution and recognizing this was actually part of that answer, that helped a ton. So I think it was that coupled with the fact that the technology is finally mature enough. I mean, like I said, that first headset I put on was terrible and nobody would have wanted to pay money to adopt that at scale. We're at a different place now. We know we still have a long way to go, but what's available now works well. The content is great and it's at a good price point. So there's still that patience of of bringing it along. But in the end, for thousands of years, humans learn through first-person spatial experiences right we learned by what was around us by interacting with it and then the digital age forced us into this like rectangular generation where we became third person outside viewers of the story and it's a bit of a disconnect i actually think this just allows us to learn much more naturally by going back into that first person spatial experience but now the advantage is we can do it with anyone in the world and in any environment we want playing with scale and time and things that are too dangerous and things that are otherwise impossible to do. So that's sort of that advantage where we can combine what works for us as humans with now it's available to make it even better. So good.
1: It is so good. I have so many notes, handwritten, archaic (laughs) style notes right now. But it's just so great to have you here. And a couple of the things that I wrote down that I think will become themes of this one is the curiosity thread through all the courses through all the offerings making that you know a central focus the tri-blend model which I've already mentioned like three times and started owning (laughs) that language and then also that sense of belonging you know we do this to bring people together and they still want that they still want the community in the
0: digital space so and everything else too but
1: thank you for
0: giving us your time Absolutely. No, this is a great conversation. I appreciate it. And you guys make it easy. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, thank
2: you. We're very glad to have you. We will be back in touch. I think there's still a lot of this conversation needs to happen, especially as we push forward here. But thank you so much for joining us and sharing your collective wisdom and experiences with our audience and with us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me. And to all of our listeners,
1: we know that you're just just slightly overwhelmed, but mostly just inspired, as we are. Uh, Join us again next week for a new topic, new guest on the Digital to Learn podcast. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.